philanthropy and especially volunteering is is a is a great way to create happiness and uh, there's lots of studies out there that that back that up um and that is our mantra Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London. And as our regular listeners know, the purpose of the podcast is to inspire you to be more philanthropic, to act more sustainably, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Please subscribe to the show and please share with others. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today we're talking about corporate philanthropy. And corporate philanthropy is a topic that's in the headlines quite a bit. And we have our friends at the Sage Foundation coming on to the Do One Better podcast today. And Sage is a global firm. It's a technology platform. It's an accounting software platform. Essentially provides business solutions. And it's an absolute pleasure to welcome on board Debbie Wall, who is the Executive Vice President at Sage. And she oversees the Sage Foundation. She oversees diversity and inclusion. And indeed, she was responsible for launching the Sage Foundation five years ago. Without further ado, Debbie, welcome on to the Do One Better podcast. Hi, thank you very much. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Tell us a little bit about the um, about the Sage Foundation. Um, Sage Foundation was really born out of a desire that we as an organization that's over sort of 30 years old should be doing more good in our community. And we started the foundation, or I started the foundation five years ago, um, and it was really we really wanted to demonstrate our purpose beyond just de delivering for our shareholders. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's about engagement, it's about working alongside our communities, and it's making sure that our colleagues, our customers, and our partners are part of that, are part of that journey. Yeah, and in terms of your geographic footprint, you're active in quite a few international markets. We are, um, as you've already said, we're a UK born and bred company, um, but we operate in 23 markets around the world. Um, biggest markets are the US, obviously the UK um, and France, but we extend right the way through Africa, Asia. So yeah, pretty, pretty global. Mm. And you say now you started the foundation. So five years ago, there was no Sage Foundation to speak of. There wasn't. Um, Sage was an interesting organisation because it had grown through acquisition. Um, so lots of businesses around the world have been bought up um, by Sage over the sort of a period of sort of fifteen to twenty years, um, and they were all pretty much operating under their own um, steam, and they had their own products and their own pro portfolios. Uh, and when I joined the team at Sage, we really needed to start to pull together Sage into a global organisation, and we really wanted to make sure that when we set the foundation up that we really represented all the different communities that we operate in. Um, so I spent quite a bit of time at the beginning really just talking to all the different um, MDs around the world and finding out what you know what they were doing if they were doing anything because what we didn't want to do was turn around to anyone and say well no you can't do that anymore. Mm. Um, that's kind of not really helping our communities <laughs> um, and we kind of landed on on sort of three areas that um, that seemed to be that the majority of the markets were working within and that was young people mm -hmm. um, and women um, and also military veterans which you know may sound strange to some people but we have a big operation in North America and we also have an operation in the UK and that was something that both those markets were doing some fantastic work in so we really felt that you know, to really um, represent all our markets, we should we should focus our time around those three areas of the community, which we've done. Yeah, fascinating. And tell me about the sequencing. So what happened? Did somebody at Sage think to themselves, you know, we don't have a foundation, we should have one. 
let's bring Debbie on board or did you, <laughs> did you come onto the foundation to the, to Sage, the, the company and then think, well, we, we don't have something like this. We should have it. Or how did it all come about? What was the thinking? And I know a lot of people listening, uh, probably work at corporates who may not have something like this, but are contemplating. So I think your, your answer here would probably be a good template for, for others to sort of keep in mind as they're, uh, trying to flesh out their thinking. Look, I think um, I came on board when um, Sage got a new CEO um, and he was really looking to, as I've already said, bring Sage into sort of a global model rather than just being separate operating businesses around the world. And it was important that we did that um, in, a, in a good way and that we really wanted to support the communities where we were operating, but also really engage our colleagues. Mm-hmm. And I think when we first started it, we knew that colleagues would um, you know, would be interested in Sage Foundation, but we really underestimated the impact that actually a foundation has on, on colleagues. And it really has, over the last five years, been one of the main drivers of engagement with colleagues. And that's that's mainly because we have the fantastic support of our ex-co and our, and our you know, non-exec board. And I think that has really driven the success. So I think it's a combination of wanting to make sure that we you know, represented the community communities where we operate and that we were seen as part of the community, especially when you're an international business. It's very easy just to sort of land in a market and not really do anything for the local communities. And, and our previous CEO and our current CEO was very keen to make sure that that, that changed. And I worked alongside both of those because um, Steve Hare, who is now our CEO, was our chief finance officer before he came into the, his current role. Mm-hmm. So it's really been a sort of, a, a journey where our exco have really been part of it and i think that that makes a huge difference and now as we sort of go into year five uh it's really part of the culture at sage it's part of our dna and you know you only have to look on Glassdoor or any of the sort of hr sites to see that colleagues and people that want to work at sage will see that you know sage foundation is really integral to the business so um how did i end up at sage mm. uh, I'd done some work for Virgin around uh, Virgin Unite's involvement with the um, London Marathon and engaging all the business, the Virgin businesses in that in that sort of campaign to support the London Marathon, which is obviously one of the biggest fundraisers in the world. And that really um, that sort of got me thinking about the fact that I wanted to do more in the in the in the philanthropy space. And I wanted to use, I guess, my expertise in sort of marketing and project management and program management and change management to really make change um, within other big organizations so I'm not a philanthropist by trade as it were I'm a a marketeer but I think the skill sets that it takes to put together a foundation like Sage has um, are very similar because it's about engagement it's about going out engaging uh, management teams engaging colleagues and really finding that common goal that you can all get behind Um, and we've been very lucky that we've managed to achieve that at Sage um, and, and and the foundation is flourishing great in terms of engaging with your colleagues, did I read correctly? Over 31,000 uh, working days of, of your colleagues sort of volunteering out there last year? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we sort of tend to focus on giving our time, um, volunteering or fundraising time. Um, obviously, we give grants, which help to fuel our volunteering and um, and really just supporting those smaller sort of charities in, in our communities and obviously our expertise so we have a we have a discounting program which we um which we 
are slowly rolling out um, on our new cloud-based um, software. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously, you know, an important part of what we do um, because we're not just giving um, time and money, but we're also giving resource. Uh, and we really want to continue to work with charities in, in each of our markets to help them, you know, with the sort of the soft stuff um, and making sure that they're running their businesses or charity businesses um, as effectively as they can and that they're using their cash flow to its full, its full advantage. So, you know, we do a, a bit of both. But, yeah, volunteering is a, is a huge part, um, along with resource and obviously fundraising and, uh, and um, you know, helping these charities to, to you know, get more money into, the, into their banks. Yeah, a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And on the, uh, on the software platform for, for charities, so if I'm a charity, uh, I, can, I can apply to you and get a free license or how does that work? Um, well, obviously, Sage um, is very much focused on small to medium-sized businesses, so not micro businesses, but sort of slightly larger ones, but not huge ones. Mm. Uh, so for us, um, we have a number of different products that we offer discount on, very good discount on. Um, and the reason it's a discounting model is because it's it, it makes sure that the software is fit for purpose for the for the charity, but also that all the right elements of it are built in for you know each individual organization um it's 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 a lot more complex than maybe some other types of um crm platforms or or other platforms that are on a subscription basis so we need to make sure that what we're giving charities is is useful yeah and and as we are developing out our cloud-based software which has you know been a key part of our development over the last five years we are as we go into new markets with that software we're um, launching software that's fit for purpose because obviously there's lots of tax implications that need to be taken into consideration for charities and that's different that is a very different proposition to the tax implications for a business piece of software so as we're developing our software in each of the markets we're also um, adapting that software to make sure that it's fit for purpose for our charity basis which we believe is, is the right approach because we're giving them a much better product which will be much more useful to them and we're giving them the support to make sure that they know how to use it great great and the volunteering and the grants how do you figure out where people should volunteer or do do your team members raise their hand and say look i've spotted a charity i think i'd like to volunteer there how many days does each volunteer sort of have allocated for them if they want to volunteer tell us a little bit about that it's very much colleague-led so as, as i've already said we very much focus around young people women and military veterans in regards to our focus for sage foundation mm-hmm. um, and that's all around work readiness education and entrepreneurialism so the charities we tend to work with at a corporate level um take a take, go across those those areas but if um if a you know a colleague wants to volunteer there's two really ways that they can do it they can either join one of our um, programs so we have something called sage foundation central which is a, a you know a CRM platform um, where any colleague in any market can go on. They've all got their a unique ID that they're already uh, assigned through single sign-on, um, and they can literally go on on there and pick a mix from thousands and thousands of opportunities that are 
Sage Foundation team across the world are sourcing and uh, organizing. Um, some of those could be individuals using their skills. So if they're an accountant, they could be, you know, using some of their time to um, help a, a charity set up a better P&L, for example. Sure. Or otherwise, it could be um, a big, what we call our big days out, where we try and get six, seven hundred colleagues all at once out doing an activity um, in the community, which could be something as simple as sorting out um, some gardening on a girl guide or a scout camp, uh, camp somewhere. Or it could be um, something that's um, a little bit more um, sort of classroom based, for example, where we've got um, colleagues going into schools and, and, and sort of acting as mentors. Um, there's numerous different types of volunteering. And the ones that tend to be on the, um, on the portal tend to be um, activities that have been arranged by the Sage Foundation managers, as, as I've said, and they tend to be around our key sort of pillars of interest. But then equally, if somebody, you know, volunteers at their local, um, their local, I don't know, nursing home or old folks home, then we can, um, they can do that too. And all they do is they just go onto the, the portal, they um, give the details of the charity that they've done the work with when they did it and a contact um, and then they can log their hours that way. Um, so we're really, we try to be flexible because what we have learned over the last five years is one, one size doesn't fit all. Mm. And actually in the, in, the, in the early days, because we'd never done any kind of volunteering on this scale at SAGE, there was a real big education process that was required to teach colleagues how to volunteer. Um, and, but the good thing is, is once they've done it once, very few people don't do it again because sure. of all the reasons we know, right? Um, and each colleague gets up to five days of volunteering. So five days of their working working um, year, they can take off and, and do some volunteering. Um, and as I say, because it's supported right the way through the business, there is no, you know, there's no challenges around that. We also do a lot of remote volunteering now um, okay. because of what's happened. Well, we'd started doing remote volunteering before because we have a lot of customer service colleagues that are on the phones um, helping our customers. And it's not always as easy for those colleagues to get off the phones. Um, and what we were finding was that they really wanted to do volunteering. But because there was more, you know, the, 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 the way their working patterns are, it was a lot harder for them to get the time out away from the phones to do the volunteering. We started to create two things. We did big days in where we're doing volunteering in our offices, mm -hmm. um, which could be online or it could be you know uh, creating crafty activities that can then be sold in shops or whatever it might be um but now because of obviously we all find ourselves working from our or at the moment at least working in our in our back back rooms or in our studies um we've we've really created a lot of remote um and uh, online based volunteering um in, re in response to the covid um and we've had we had a big day in recently where we had over 3,000 colleagues all online doing their volunteering at one time. So, <laughs> you know, there's always opportunities. So I think, I think over the next few years, you know, we're going to see that whole remote volunteering really, really start to um, really start to grow. And, and, and we've spent a lot of time working with our charities to try and identify ways w which they can do remote volunteering and remote fundraising. Um, especially during these 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 this time that we're in at the moment. I mean, that was going to be my question. How do you set up or identify these you know these remote volunteering opportunities? Because probably easier said than done. But what, <laughs> what what does it look like? What's if I were working at Sage and I were doing remote volunteering? What is it that I might be doing remotely to volunteer? 
Um, lots of different things. So there's a lot of online mentoring. So school kids, not just because of COVID, but school kids doing, you know, you, you, you go online and you speak to uh, a young child um, and help them with their reading. That could be mm-hmm. one type of remote volunteering. We do a lot of that, um, both here and in North America. Great. Um, we do, um, it may well be that um, we work with old people charities uh, that, that assist women, older women. Um, and it could be as simple as writing a letter to them mm-hmm. um, and if they're lonely. Or it could be working with, um, we, have a, we have quite a few charities actually at the moment where they're, we're, they're asking us to make things um, like friendship bracelets that they can then sell online. Right. Um, right. So it's, it's, it's a really vast uh, piece of work. We also have a work with a number of wildlife charities where we go online and count baboons on live cams <laughs> in the middle of the outback Excellent. so that they can check the migration routes and whether they're getting into trouble or drought or whatever it might be. So Excellent. it's a real, it's amazing how much is out there when you start looking. And we've also, as I say, done a lot of work in the shorter term uh, as a response to COVID with charities mm-hmm. to help them to to think about how they could, like we're all having to do, um, think about how you can do things online rather than um, rather than in real life. Yeah. So a lot of charities. If I were looking at your uh, your remote volunteers, some of them are have a workshop in their house, building, putting together bracelets. Others are counting baboons on their computer, and various other bits and pieces. Yeah, pretty much. It's a bit crazy. <laughs> but there <laughs> is on a, on, a, on a more serious note, though, and I think you touched on it a little bit at the end um obviously this covid 19 has presented an unprecedented challenge for particularly for many charities many smaller charities on the on the income side their financials are very very tight very difficult situations and i imagine your expertise um would be invaluable to some of these organizations interestingly we're doing something called the growth project um which is an australian organization not for profit um which is kind of like a, a growth program for smaller charities that are doing really really well mm-hmm. so they're, they're growing um, and they basically link the CEO of the charity with C-suite um, and executives of uh, businesses to help them to kind of you know learn from each other actually and, and, and really kind of um, take each other's expertise to, to make the charity thrive and, and grow quicker and we've just literally started the program in the UK. We've been doing it in the US, sorry, in the Australia for, for a number of years. And it started about three weeks before COVID. So we've actually been on the front line of this with 14 amazing charities um, that are all growing. So we've really seen on the front line the challenges that, you know, that they're having, whether it's from having to put colleagues from the charities on government payment schemes or furloughing as we, we're calling it here mm-hmm. in the UK um, or and how you then keep the charity going even though all your you know all your staff are furloughed um, right through to managing um, learning to manage cost uh, their, their cash flows better and actually knowing what their cash flows are which is quite an interest has been quite interesting that so many charities are so focused on delivering that end good that they you know they, they don't have that much time to, to manage cash flow and then suddenly all of a sudden that you know they, they've got to do that really yeah. really 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 closely um, so we've, we've we've been helping them to do that it seems that charities quite often they work almost in isolation and uh, they don't have that um, ability to kind of work, uh, you know, sort of bounce ideas off other similar charities or similar organizations because they're so 
fixed on the cause and helping the people that they need to help that they don't seem to have that kind of support that maybe we have in business a little bit more um so we've been doing a lot of work in trying to sort of give that support and give that that ear and that mentoring to the charity leaders and also you know coming up with ideas about how to change their models i mean look i had to change the whole of the sage foundation model our whole model was based on volunteering and getting teams of colleagues out volunteering or out fundraising and and doing projects with you know, with college, uh, with um charities in the flesh and you know literally overnight we've had to turn that whole model on its head and put it all online which you know we've done fairly successfully so really just trying to to share our experiences of how we've as both as a business and as a foundation have have coped during the during these you know fairly crazy times there will be there will be casualties unfortunately but you know from sage's perspective what we're trying to do is make sure all the charities we work with around the world which there's usually around 300 at any one time that those 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 people are, are we're giving them as much support as we can and helping them to look you know look differently you know be a bit radical in their approach to how they how they um continue to to operate no, that's great and the knowledge sharing um initiative that you have there in australia if that works well you can use it as a template for your other 22 markets i guess Absolutely. Well, so as I say, we've just brought it to London, um, and the plan is that we will take it to uh, most of our key markets over the next five years because it's it's not only development for the charities, but it's also development for our leadership and our people mm -hmm. uh, because it really gives them the opportunity to to get some really good skill based um, experience and put it into put it into a, a live working experience by helping these charities to grow like you would with any business so yeah we're, we're, we're definitely committed to that over the next uh, the next well we said the next 10 years so we'll see Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> no that's great and how do you figure out whether things are succeeding so this initiative you know you, you launched it in australia you brought it to london how do you keep an eye on whether this is playing out the way that you were expecting we um we have look you know we're like any uh, charity organization or foundation measuring impact um is is not a fine art um and i'm not going to say that we have got it absolutely right mm -hmm. but because we because we work with our charities so closely when we're either giving them grants or giving or volunteering with them we have strong uh, relationships with them so we can measure the impact you know, we can measure the, the, the monetary stuff. So we know how many volunteer days we did last year. We know how much money we gave away last year. We know how many charities we worked with last year. Those are all basic impact measurements uh, to, to show that we're succeeding. But actually, when you start to drill down into the, into the um, you know, the, the next level down and what that impact looks like for the, for the end user, right, the, the person that's getting the impact from the charity, that's a lot more difficult to define uh, in, in numbers. So what we tend to do is we do a lot of case studies, we do mm -hmm. a lot of storytelling, um, and that seems to work really well for us. Um, and that really is, I guess, we spend a lot of time doing that. Um, and, and that's only that is driven by the fact that we have such close relationships with with the organisations. And then we have a number of um, we have a number of sort of what I would call, I guess, our global projects. So one of those being Future Makers, okay. which which is a, a project where we're teaching um, young 
people between the ages of 11 and 18 about artificial intelligence. So not necessarily teaching them how to do it. We do do a bit of that. But it's more about what the impact of AI is going to have on their working careers, so the future of work. Um, and, and, and that's a lot easier to measure because we've got a finite number of kids. I think last this year we'll, we'll, we'll help just over 600 kids to learn about AI in six of our markets, um, which doesn't sound a lot, but it's quite an in-depth program of activity these young people do. Um, and then we have, um, you know, we have feedbacks that we do with the, with the individuals. We revisit uh, the individuals that have been through the program to see whether they've continued on with their studies. We do a lot of signposting. And then we also have an external um, company that come in and do an audit for us mm-hmm. um, on the impact. So I think we do what we can, but I think any foundational charity will tell you that one of the hardest things is is that whole impact uh, reporting. Um, but I, I, I hope that we do it well. And I yeah. think you know, every year we put an impact report together, which I present to our non-exec board every January. Um, and, you know, I get asked very similar questions every year um, around it. Um, and, you know, I, I think we, 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 we do okay. It's great that the whole board and, and the CEO and everybody's behind this. I think it's absolutely, it, it's so important. I, I really don't think that you can get the impact um both internally and externally, unless you have buy-in from the top. Um, and in fact, when I first came into the business, um, that was one of the one of the prerequisites that I said, "Look, if you want me to do this, I'll do it." But 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 it needs to have senior sponsorship because um, I've seen it in other places where it's sort of the the, the foundation either sort of just operates on its own, or it it sort of uh, reporting into sort of way down the way down the, the the organizational structure and in my mind if you're going to do that then you you can't you cannot measure the impact you cannot you know it's you're never going to succeed because it's it this isn't this is crucial for business but it'll only be it's only seen as being important if you get buy-in at the top in my experience. So, so, so I, I, I think that is definitely one of the main reasons that we've been successful is because we've always had CEO, uh, executive team and non-exec board. Sure. And, and what about through the, so the, the ranks of the organization? So how many people work at, at Sage? Globally around 13,000. It goes up and down just depending on the time of the year and, and, and what's yeah. going on. So roughly 13,000. So not, not, not a small number. And, uh, and there wasn't anything remotely resembling a foundation five years ago. It seems like there's a lot of momentum that sort of ramped up since then. Was it a very difficult challenge or, or endeavor to, um, to A, introduce the whole notion of volunteering and a foundation to... 10,000 uh, strong workforce globally and to actually get them to start thinking about it and and even just getting this portal that you were talking about uh, online. Tell us a little bit about that. Was it a very arduous journey or? <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't think, I, I, I wouldn't say it was arduous. I think, um, I think at times it was challenging, but that was more because A, the business was going through so much rapid change. Um, and secondly, I think it was a big education process. Uh, so communication was key. Um, but now I think, as I say, it's ingrained in what, in what we do. Um, I think also we kept it really simple. We didn't try and 
make it too complicated or too highbrow or academic. Our, you know, our mandate was simple. We wanted to support our local communities. It's the right thing to do. It's, you know, it's action philanthropy, uh, which is what how we refer to it. We want to be out there doing and being action orientated towards those charities. And we do it in a simple way. We do it by giving our time through volunteering and fundraising. We give resource, whether that's product or advice or mentoring to, to to our charities and you know we give away money to support those those endeavors and we're now sort of working with our partners who are the people that sell the sage software and develop the safe sage software add-ons on our behalf um, and we're doing exactly the same as what we did with the colleague side of it the internal side of it and you know and it's it's the same kind of journey it's it really is about educating people keeping it simple and making it fun and making sure people feel happy yeah philanthropy and especially volunteering is is a is a great way to create happiness and uh, there's lots of studies out there that that back that up um and that is our mantra you know it it, it has to make everybody feel engaged with sage and happy um and if you do that you're going to get success indeed indeed what does success look like to you in the next 10 years? And by the way, that dovetails very nicely with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. <laughs> I think continue to doing what we're doing. Um, I'd love some of the global projects like Future Makers to really take hold outside of SAGE. And, and we're in conversations about how we can sort of grow, say, uh, grow the Future Makers program beyond beyond just sage i want to make sure that volunteering grows even more so that you know and a really advocate for the tech industry that you know having a volunteer program it, it increases productivity it increases engagement and and really it has to be an integral part of, of of business so for me if we can kind of you know continue to do what we're doing well and growing it make sure that the key projects like future makers grow beyond just sage um, and we and we continue to ensure that you know we see philanthropy as action orientated and we we keep our colleagues uh, engaged then that's 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 success excellent now i'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here if somebody's <laughs> listening to this and they're in a similar predicament to where you were five years ago and they'd like a little bit of insider guidance or so obviously they can use today's episode as as a starting point but if somebody wanted to reach out to you um, what's the best way of doing so? Can they do it through LinkedIn, Twitter? What do you recommend? LinkedIn, definitely LinkedIn. You'll find me on LinkedIn. Um, and, and I absolutely encourage people to get in, in, in touch. I'm personally incredibly uh, driven by making sure that as many businesses, whether they're small businesses, huge multi-corporations, um, do something. And and this model that we've we've created is simple. And there's lots of elements of it that can be done really quickly really cheaply it doesn't have to cost money in as in like dollar dollar signs um time is is, is important but but certainly it's every you know every organization you know in in, in business should be doing something uh, and, and I, I i strongly believe that our model will allow anyone to do something wonderful now before we wrap things up I always ask everybody for a key takeaway. What's the key takeaway that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind once they finish listening to today's episode? Action speaks louder than words. Get on and do it. Very good. Very succinct, very to the point, and very relevant to today's world. Debbie, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you very much. 
And it's great that you were able to shed so much light on the world of corporate philanthropy and, and the sort of the tangible steps that you've taken to get an organization to actually embrace a foundation, create a foundation and, and, and improve the world for the better. To our audience, thank you so much for listening as always. Very much appreciated. Please subscribe. Please share with others. It's always very much appreciated. And Debbie, thank you. Really great having you on the Do One Better podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better. <music>